Yeah, the seat is deep. Thank you for coming to our discussion of the state of black America with the, with the mayor of Atlanta, the Honorable Kasim Reed. Hello. Clap for him. Just because he's not Hello. from this state, you can clap for him. The Honorable Mayor of San Antonio, Ivy Taylor. And former congressman and Marine, is that correct, sir? Why would you call me a Marine? I'm sorry, sir. I'm Army. No, I'm just kidding. It's all, it's all good. Ar and it's Army served yeah. 23 years? 23, 23. 23 years, so thank you for your service. My pleasure. Alan West. Yeah, thanks for having me. Represented Florida for two years, was that? Yes, I did. So we're supposed to talk about the state of black America, and I was thinking about that, and something in the notion of the state of black America made me think that the question presupposes that there is a problem with black Americans, right? And, you know, it sort of struck me as like, you know, what's the matter with the Negro? And at the <laughs> moment of the rise of Trumpism, it, it, it screams out to me that there is a significant problem among white people. So I want to begin <laughs> with, the no with your thoughts on, and we'll go down the line this way, about why are so many white people so upset about the state of the country that they are willing to vote for somebody who is overtly racist? Um, I think that, um, that the white community is now having to confront many of the challenges that have uh, typically been associated with the black community and that's creating real challenges. And so, you know, if you look at the coverage of heroin use and opioid addictions, mm. If you look at what's going on in places like West Virginia, rural Tennessee, rural Georgia, um, if you look at a recent Harvard study that started looking at the inability of white men to obtain employment in a manner that allows them to support their families, and you're seeing the kind of family disruption. So I think that uh, the majority community in a, in a lot of instances is experiencing what the black community has been experiencing for our entire time here. And I think that's creating a great deal of anxiety. I also happen to believe that it creates enormous opportunity. Um, because when I think of the state of the black of America, I think of the state of America, which is one uh, where we are recovering. Yeah. And I think that because many of the challenges that typically were associated with black people are now becoming more commonplace, mm -hmm. like concern about unemployment, Concern about what your future is going to be like, concern about tomorrow, whether you're going to be able to provide for your family. All of those are things that um, used to be associated with minority groups and then now become broader problems. And so what happens when um, issues that were relegated to minority communities become broader problems, I think we have greater opportunity to solve them. And so uh, I look at it as a moment of opportunity. Mayor Taylor. Well, I echo some of the same sentiments um, that Mayor Reed just mentioned, I guess, and hone in specifically on concerns related to employment and jobs and all the narrative about whether or not your children will be able to live better than you did. You know, that's kind of the American aspiration that each generation continues to build. Um, I think that makes people uneasy because the path forward is not maybe as apparent as it's been uh, previously due to changes in our economy and the kinds of jobs that are being created and challenges uh, with people accessing uh, education and the increasing costs of education. But then also I would point out that um, 
whereas for many years the narrative has mainly been black and white, that you know, as um, America becomes more and more diverse, for some people that uh, may be um, much more threatening as well. Indeed, Colonel West. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I grew up in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm sure Mayor Reed knows it very well. And yes. that's the same neighborhood that gave us Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. My elementary school is right across the street from Ebenezer Baptist Church. So I think I'm the only guy up here with a lot of gray hair. So I'm, I'm going to look at this little, from... I got a little. Yeah, you color yours. But I'm going to look at it from, you know, the time when I was born in 61 to now and look at the microcosm of the black community, but then the greater American community. And I think that what we have seen happen over these 55 years, and, and it plays out, you know, we've got to rebuild the, the family, especially in the black community. I think as an American family as well. I think education opportunities and the emphasis on education is not as strong as it uh, used to be. Like I said, Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic School, which is the school that my parents uh, chose for me to go to and not the public school there, that school is no longer uh, open now. It, uh, it is shut down. It's a community center. And I think about the opportunities that that school can give to the kids that grew up in the neighborhood that no longer is there. And the other thing is that I remember walking down Auburn Avenue, and as Mayor knows, the, the great historic Butler Street YMCA where I learned to swim, learned to box, learned to play basketball. It was a different Auburn Avenue than what it is today. You saw a lot more small business entrepreneurship and opportunities, and I think that that is also something that echoes across the United States of America. So it's about family, I think it's about education, I think it's about those small business uh, you know, entrepreneurial opportunities that you can look at it as a microcosm in the black community, but it is also something that's affecting the, the greater United States. So we've spent the week uh, watching news media talk about the policing crisis. This is front burner stuff once again in America. Um, it, it, it seems to me it's just a matter of time that you are not confronted with the same sort of issue that we're seeing in Charlotte and Cleveland and on and on and on. Um, are you even thinking in terms of, let me be prepared for when that moment comes and somebody has been killed and the community is, is in the streets. And Do you think about that sort of a thing? Um, I think about it all the time. I think that any major city or any city in America has 99% uh, of our officers are exceptional individuals, but people make mistakes. The way that I think that you prevent um, these kind of incidents be from becoming crises, I mean, I had... 10,000 protesters in Atlanta this summer for two incidents that happened in Baton Rouge and that happened in Minneapolis. Yep. Um, but I think what matters is you have to be able to demonstrate to people who are protesting what your record is. So the bottom line is you need to be doing the work quietly before there's a, ever a major incident where you have to ask the public to have faith in you. So when we had 10,000 protesters in Atlanta, um, we were really called to account by civic activists. Uh, I met with civic activists personally. Um, they presented a list of 25 demands. Um, we responded to their demands in writing. I said what I would do and what I wouldn't do. But we also had a record. We had reduced crime by 28% in the city of Atlanta. We had 1.6 million police citizen interactions. Our officers had fired their weapons less than nine times. The City of Atlanta Police Department mirrors the racial composition of the City of Atlanta. We had moved forward um, with body cams, so we're now rolling out body cam How technology. How many body cameras are out now? Um, we will roll out, a we're gonna do the whole force, so we will do 2,000. 
So we're in the implementation phase of that. We were one of 15 police departments that participated uh, in the president's panel on excellence in policing. So when we had that moment of tension, we were able to sit down and say, you have legitimate concerns, but before these incidents ever happened, this is what we were doing already. Mm. We already made the decision that when there is an officer-involved shooting, that we have the GBI investigated. Our police department doesn't investigate the, the shooting. statewide. Yes. Uh -huh. And then uh, finally, um, we had an incident that unfortunately involved one of our officers um, who shot into a vehicle. That matter was investigated. That officer was terminated. And I think the entire series of events took four to six weeks as opposed to months and months and months. The point I'm making is, is that at a time when equity is such an important value, you really can't be in a position in crisis where you are making it up. You have to be able to sit down to explain why you believe that you should have the benefit of the doubt or why you should believe that there should be calm. Mayor Taylor, what are the tactics uh, that you are implementing or would like to implement going forward that uh, will, will deal with, mollify some of these problems? Yes, of course we are dealing with some of the same challenges in San Antonio. And uh, we've, been, we've taken a number of steps over the past few years uh, to improve our police force. Uh, we are also rolling out body cams. We're working on uh, de-escalation training for our officers. We've made some changes in uh, some of the other um, training principles out at the police academy. Uh, and our police chief has also been involved with the White House 21st Century Policing Initiative. And we've um, had some consultants coming in working with us on that. But even yet and still, we've had some incidents. They've not resulted in the type of unrest that you've recently seen on the news. However, there are a number of uh, residents who don't have the confidence in our police force. Uh, so I recently established a council on police community relations um, that includes a broad group of uh, stakeholders. And we're going to begin some dialogue and have some tough conversations about what else needs to happen. Now, we had our first meeting, and what I can share as far as a common theme from many of the people who uh, participated is they all uh, reflected back on the days of the cop on the beat, commu real community, community policing, policing, where you know the police officer knew me when I was a kid, he knew my parents, he knew people in the neighborhood, and that helped to you know, as a mitigating factor when incidents occurred or people, young people felt like, well, the police were looking out for me uh, and the dangers that were in my neighborhood. So we're trying to figure out what are some innovative ways that we can um, reestablish those types of relationships and connections. Frankly, one of them is if one of the um, challenges is the fact that many of our police don't live in our city limits. However, in the state of Texas, um, the uh, state has made the decision that that is not a stipulation we can include in our collective bargaining agreement, so we can't mandate. The state of Texas has told you can't. We cannot mandate residency. What is their reason for that? Uh, the lobby, the union that lobbies. <laughs> that the police union does not want that. Right, right. They didn't want that as a requirement. So. 
Um, so right now, um, we, we have developed in our latest budget an incentive program. So if you're a police officer, you're a first time home buyer, we'll give you X number of dollars if you live within the inner city footprint. Interesting. Uh, Congressman, what tactics would you like to see us implement to deal with the policing crisis? Well, it was interesting uh, when my brother came back from Vietnam, he was a Marine, and uh, one of the things he wanted to do was get himself back in shape. He was severely wounded, and he wanted to become an Atlanta police officer. And I remember the pride that I had as a, as a young man watching him graduate from the police academy and the first time, you know, he drove the cruiser up Kennesaw Avenue there, and all my friends and everyone came out. I think it's really important that you have that hands-on, um, you know, sense of community with those police officers. You know, at Grady High School, where I went to school, we didn't have police officers there in the school, per se, but when we had those football games at Grady Stadium or, or you know, wherever, or Lakewood Stadium, you got to know those police officers that were there because they were there every week, and, you know, there was a sense of bond. They would ask you things about, you know, how are you guys going to play today or whatever, and it's that person-to-person, -person, which is exactly the same thing in the military mm. with leadership. It's communications, it's that sense of caring, and it's proactive communications. Because I think one of the things that we see happening that is so challenging for these mayors is that everyone has a narrative they want to get out there. Instead of allowing the leaders of these communities, the leaders of these cities to be able to say, hey, we've got this under control, we're going to get the narrative out there, and we have to be trusted. And I think another thing that, that uh, we have to do, we've got to go back and trust the rule of law. And we cannot allow the, the mob rule or the mob violence. Look at what just happened in Tulsa. The police officer, they did the investigation, they went by process, they went by procedure, she's been charged. Look at what has happened in, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, with the police officer that shot the individual that was run away several times in the back. He has been charged. That guy's probably gonna get the death penalty because first degree uh, murder. So when we sit back and we allow these things to work, when we talk and educate people on these processes, when we allow the narrative to come from these type of leaders, then I think that we can have I mean, that I, social I order. think that quite often we see that that process is not working, right? And you named two incidents where the police officers are being brought to justice, mm -hmm. but, uh, and, and certainly not well, saying Ferguson, that- Ferguson, Missouri. Ferguson, Missouri, where a different narrative got out there, well, if people had allowed a process to go through, trusted the mayors, trust the leaders in that community uh, who were in charge, then the evidence would have come out and maybe we would not have had all of the type of violence that we saw. And I think that's very important. Uh, and so it comes back to an education process. It comes back to, like I say once again, trusting these leaders to be able to do their job. They have an incredible job, you know, as mayors of, of major cities in the United States of America. But if we continue to try to undermine their authority, then we're going to see more of this mob type of violence. Mayor, no, respectfully, I, I want to push back on that a little bit. I think that you can't discount the public's involvement in making sure that there is a greater level of accountability. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying now, you I, discount the public. Oh, oh, no, no, yeah. no. I mean, I'll let you speak. I'm just expressing my view as a mayor. Um, I think you can't discount uh, the American public's concern about this issue playing an important role in people doing the right thing more than I believe that they typically would have. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think that there is more than just respecting the rule of law. I think that we have to understand that we're in a different time with different technology and we have to govern in a time where people are sharing information and sharing that information has had real impact on these outcomes. 
And candidly, it's still insufficient because while people are being held to account, uh, I'm candidly still uh, unsatisfied with some of the end results yeah. that you're seeing, even when people are being held to account and it's being known. So I think on both sides, on the governance side and on the public side, we still have a lot of work to do to get to the right balance. Yeah. Mayor but, Taylor, but let, me, let me just say, the American people have the right to petition their government for redress of grievances. Mm -hmm. But what concerns me is that when businesses are being destroyed, when other individuals are being attacked, sadly, a young man lost his life in the mob violence in Charlotte uh, from someone else that was in that mob. That's what I don't want to see it Are you more into. concerned with the damage to local businesses than the root problem that they're protesting, that people are being killed by their government? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that you lose the effect of the protest and the, and the owning of the issue when all of a sudden, you know, let's, let's be honest, the news media sensationalizes and that's what they will go and focus on. And the next thing you know, the, the power of the people, as Mayor uh, Kasim Reed talked about, the ability of the people to go out there and bring an issue uh, that needs to be addressed is lost because people go and focus on something that's a distraction. Mayor Taylor, one of the things that we are getting out of all this is news media, where I come from, showing these videos over and over, and they are snuff films. And so we are seeing over and over the killing of John Crawford, Tamir Rice, you know, Philando. We could go on and on with these names. What impact do you think that is having on people in America, and especially black people, seeing these videos over and over and having this gigantic store of, remember Faces of Death when we were younger, right? The video that was in Blockbuster, right? I mean, that's what we have now, and it's us being killed in these. What impact is that, that we're seeing these over and over and over? Well, I think certainly it has a tremendous and significant impact on, with one of the recent incidents, um, I hadn't heard about it. I was, I was in the house busy doing something and my daughter came to me with the iPad. She's here today, my 12-year-old daughter, Morgan. And she showed me the image of um, incident, I think in Baton Rouge. Um, and she said, mommy, why do they keep doing this to us? And I felt so awful that I hadn't protected mm -hmm. her from that image, but how can you? But I have to say, and I hope this doesn't just sound too jaded, that in a way, um, uh, it's time for everyone to know the things that have been going on for yes. years. Yes. And the, the crisis predates our lives, yes. right? Our parents were talking about this. They just didn't have cameras to prove to the rest of the world That's that this is real. That's why I get frustrated by people who just jump on this as the hot political issue because this is something that our communities have been dealing with for decades, but modern technology now allows everyone to see the story. Congressman, yeah. do you think that Black Lives Matter, the organization, is helping this policing crisis? I think it has a value, but I think that one of the things we need to see is a consistency in that value. Uh, I would like to see more protests in Chicago. I would like to see more protests in some of these other places that we have had. There is tremendous issues. work that Black Lives Matter and other groups are doing in Chicago. They are not forgetting about what's going on in Chicago. But, but again, when we just talked about, I know folks are clapping, but when we just talked about 
how is that getting out there? How is that portrayed when you talk about perceptions, when you talk about optics, when you talk about the ability to show these images and things? Well, we need to see those images out there to say that, you know, all of these lies and all of these different situations, not just these specific situations toward police, uh, you know, involved shootings, but all of these situations matter. And I think that that's important. Education is a life that should matter in the black community. So we need to have Black Lives Matter talking about school choice and school vouchers and better education opportunities for our young men and women in these inner cities. And so that's what I'm saying. It's a totality of engaging on that issue. May I touch on please, something? Please, um, Terry, I, I'm, I'm really not surprised at all as a black person by what we've seen on television. And I don't know many black people who are surprised. I right. think that black people have known through our own life experiences that this has been going on for some time. Um, I think that white people and others have been surprised, but I haven't been surprised. I'm 47 years old and I remember that my dad telling me when I would go off to Howard University, you get pulled over by the police, both hands on the steering wheel, both feet on the floor. I mean, I got to Take talk your wallet, too. put it in the seat next to you, say, sir, ma'am, don't look the officer in the eye unless he asks you to. I mean, these are things that I'm a mayor of a major American city and I remember. So I don't think that there is this um, shock within the black community. I do believe um, that we do need to do a, job, a better job within our community of the basics. I mean, that talk that I just gave, we actually have to get that message out the same way Steve Harvey did just the other day because what my dad used to tell me is, he just wanted me to get home. He used to say, I want you, I'm more concerned than you being a man on some road in South Carolina or North Carolina with a police officer. Save that until you get to Howard or get back to Atlanta. Yeah. That's the message that we have to get out as well. Congressman, the problem with bringing up Chicago in this conversation partly is that 40% you know, of those killings are done by one half of 1% of the city. Right. So this is not, this is, you know, a small group of people who are perpetuating most of this violence. But as tragic as it is, there is a stark difference between people killing people, citizens having problems with other citizens, which we see all over the world, and government officials, which is what the police are, killing citizens. <laughs> and so often in these shootings, Tulsa as a sort of red uh, example, um, you see that, the, that it seems quite clear that it's a fear of the person on the other side uh, is why the, why the trigger is being pulled. So it, it just becomes very problematic to bring in Chicago when we're talking about a government killing its citizens. Well, I think that we should be concerned about any time citizens are killing citizens at a massive rate. When I look at what has happened in Chicago and I compare it to the combat zones that I was in in Iraq and Afghanistan, it is exponentially larger, and I think that we need to have just the same amount of attention. But as I said earlier, that these government officials here who are in charge of law enforcement agencies and, and operations, they're the ones on the front line that should be working with their chiefs of police. The uh, county commissioners are the ones that should be working with their, their uh, sheriff's departments and what have you, so that they are having the right type of and proper training, so that they are having the right type of engagement with the community so that we can reduce this uh, from happening. But then also, we need to understand that there are laws in process, there are investigation uh, procedures in process. If an officer has done something wrong, they're not above the law. 
But we have to trust these individuals and we have to trust the law to be able to do what is necessary and uh, go through those procedures and come out with the right results. Is Colin Kaepernick helping? Um, I think that uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, is helping in the way that he's choosing to help. I think that everybody gets to select how they add their voice to this important conversation. So it's not for me to define his truth. He's a grown man. That's the way that he reflects his protest. And so what I choose to do is to live my own life. Uh, and my form of protest is doing the job that I do as a mayor, making sure that I run a police department um, that treats the citizens that I have a responsibility for uh, in a manner that's consistent with the best of our values. So what I believe as it relates to protest is that as long as you are not violating the law when you exercise your First Amendment right, then you're making a decision as a grown person and you should be treated as a grown person. Colin Kaepernick is living with all of the responsibilities of his decision. And so as long as he's doing that, um, I think that, uh, that, that his protest should be treated as a protest and should be respected. Indeed. Mayor Taylor. <laughs> Uh, the, the protest that Colin Kaepernick started is only growing. We're seeing it in high schools. We're seeing it in women's soccer. Uh, I have no doubt that when the NBA, when the Spurs come back, they'll be doing it too. Um, what do you think about this part of the movement? Well, I think, um, again, as Mayor Reed said, I mean, we're here in America. We have the right to be able to express ourselves in those ways. And... Um, though some people may disagree with that, I think we should cherish the fact that we all have the opportunity to be able to express our views uh, because in many places in the world, uh, people can't. can't do that. Indeed. Uh, Congressman? I think uh, one of the things I find interesting, because I do live in Dallas now, I moved there uh, January of last year, is that the NFL told the uh, Dallas Cowboys they could not put a decal on their helmet to uh, remember and give honor to the five police officers that lost their life, but yet we see what has happened with Colin Kaepernick. You know, the University of Texas uh, Chancellor, the former uh, Navy SEAL Commander Admiral McRaven, wrote an incredible letter to the uh, universities, the athletic directors and the coaches here, and he talked about what that flag and what the national anthem means for those of us who have been willing to you know, give that last full measure of devotion. There are four generations in my family that have served this country. My father served in World War II when this country didn't afford him the rights and privileges that it should. My brother fought in Vietnam. My mother worked for a Marine Corps district headquarters in Atlanta. And I remember when they sat me down on those steps of 651 Kennesaw Avenue and asked me to be the first officer in the family. And now my nephew is uh, the next generation of officer. So there's a part of me that says, explain to me what it is about the national anthem and what it you know, uh, signifies the flag that causes you to not want to participate with that. I got to understand your First Amendment rights and your freedom of expression. But the NFL has to be very careful when you had players that were fined for having cleats that gave homage to 9-11 because their opening day was on that same day. But yet Mr. Kaepernick had fly, uh, socks that portrayed uh, officers as pigs. On so, the practice field. But even still. That is something that the perception and the optic that is out there uh, is causing a lot of consternation. So I agree with him having his uh, freedom of expression. 
Uh, I think that there's a different way that he could express it, but that's just me. I'm just a dumb old soldier that used to jump out of airplanes. I jumped out of an airplane twice. It's an extraordinary thing to Did you do. do a tandem or you did it by yourself? Uh, I did one tandem and one solo. Okay. And well, it is okay. an extraordinary thing. I mean, like you, uh, just props to that. You are violating your deepest lizard brain impulse. If you're like, no, don't go out that window. Um, so, you know, uh, amazing uh, respect for that. Um, I'd love to see you two agreeing on something. 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 Yeah, we something. agree. Well, you know, that we were agreeable, to Colonel. We're going to get to the bottom of it in a, in a minute. Um, I spent the morning watching the opening of the National Museum of African American History. It made me so proud. Even George W. Bush gave a great speech. I was proud of him. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, did you watch any of it? No, I was coming did you, here. I mean, does, does, does the, and I didn't mean to be a gotcha, but I mean like, you know, does the opening of this museum give you a sense of pride? Our history I, was in, been... I was actually in Washington yesterday at the Treasury Department. So, you know, the Treasury is right next to the White House. And then I took some time just to go stand outside of the museum on my own after meeting with Secretary Lou. It's a soul-stirring experience. Um, there's a fullness to it. Um, you know, here's what I have to say. Um, I just think that the museum is so appropriate and it's so well done. And the effort to make it happen after so many years uh, and, and having it done with Barack Obama as the 44th president of the United States is, I hope, a moment of reflection. It's also a moment for us to slow down in the midst of all of this chaos. And President Obama talks about this all of the time. As you know, the fact of the matter is we came out of the worst recession in 80 years. But we need to also mark the things that are going right within the black community. More black people are in high school than they've ever been in the history of the country. More black people are in college than they've ever been in the history of the country. The gap in life expectancy between black people and white people is three and a half years. That's the smallest that it's ever been. The largest amount of black people have health insurance, largely because of Obamacare. The number of black people who are in college has increased from 6% to 22%, which goes towards building black families because you have individuals who are able to support themselves. And I just wanted to say that because uh, I was on CNN this week with some character who was saying that um, black people were doing worse than they had ever done before, <laughs> including slavery and Jim Crow. And so... Um, Are you talking about the candidate or one of his surrogates? It was both of them. Mm. And both of them were lying. But the point I'm making is, is that, um, you know, we're in an environment where the country is divided, so um, the other side's always shouting down even real progress. Yeah. And so at a serious meeting like today, I just wanted to take some time to actually go to the data. You know, we still got real issues around the wealth gap. Um, wealth gap for both black people and uh, Hispanic people and others is significantly oh, different. Oh, the wealth gap but, is huge. Yeah, but I mean, we, we also need to talk about, I mean, at a time when we, we, we're through social media, you hear about every single thing that's going wrong, um, you know, I think we need to talk about, have a real assessment of where the country is making real progress. Because as the country browns, this data is going to become more and more impactful. Um, 
I've been working real hard on the TPP, and it might sound corny, but you know, we've got an obligation to keep America strong so that it remains an indispensable nation. And we can't do that without um, black people and other people uh, continuing to grow and, and hit the metrics that we need for a great America. Congressman, the, the, the opening of the museum makes me think about uh, what has happened to the GOP over the last decade. The funding for this museum was signed into law by George W. Bush. And now we have a candidate from your party who is proposing a war on black and brown and Muslim people. How did we get from here to there, or from there to here, and how do we bring the GOP back from this wilderness? Well, I didn't know I was here to try to defend Donald Trump, but uh, I thought we were talking about the state of black America. But look, you know. I'm, just, so are you saying you're not voting for Donald Trump? Well, you know, I will tell you that when I look at the four people that are out there, uh, Donald Trump represents probably 65% with me. Um, and I know Mr. Trump personally because three of his properties were in the South Florida district that I represented. Is he a perfect candidate? No. Uh, do I think that there are some things that he has said uh, before he has gotten a little bit more discipline uh, that he could correct it? L look. When Before you, you get more disciplined and then propose national stop and frisk? I mean, you know, discipline no, is just but, a but moment you know with what? him. There are, there are many it's just people, one Kellyanne proper speech, and then he goes back to saying these wild things. There are some people in the city of New York that disagree. The people in the communities that disagree with Bill de Blasio lifting stop and frisk because they felt that they had a more secure community. Let's go back and talk about the African-American Museum. And I was up there in Washington, D.C. this past week. Gave me a lot of pride to walk by there. Uh, and I had a lot of pride anyhow, like I said, when every day of your life as a young kid, your elementary school is right across the street from Ebenezer Baptist Church, and it's right there looking at Dr. King's final resting place, and I know the sacrifices that my parents made for me to be where I am today. Uh, if you want to talk about the GOP, I think the thing that the GOP has done is they gave up on the black community. Uh, and they they gave up on the black community. They did give up on the black. I'll be the first one to say that. And I think to a point that the just, Democrats just so were, oh, when, let me, let me when finish, are you saying let me finish, because you know I'm not a real smart guy, so I don't want to lose my train of thought. But <laughs> I think one of the things about the Democrat party, and, and, and this is where the two-party system I think is a failure. Democrats have taken the black community somewhat for granted. The Republican party gave up on the black community. And everybody out here, I'm gonna ask you a very simple question. If you're investing your money do you invest your money in one single fund? You diversify, correct? Well, the problem is if we do not have a community that seeks to diversify and impact the entire political spectrum, then we find ourselves in a position where we are taken for granted and we are disregarded by another. And I think that we have to have the ability to play all across the political spectrum. You may disagree with that, but I think it's important I mean, it's a problematic, to make ourselves uh, relevant. It's a, it's a very we problematic have make, analogy. We to, have to make ourselves relevant across the entire political spectrum. It's a very problematic analogy because if you invest in a fund that has multiple companies, there is no chance that it will go up because there's no chance that all those companies will go up. If you invest in one company like Apple or Google, there is a chance that that company will go up and make but money for you. Risk. But, but, but you're taking a risk. But if we want to make it an electoral uh, question, if black people were split between the two parties, right, 
then we would not have any power in this election. Our only power in this election, because white people are much more split, even though there's about a 20-point difference in Donald Trump's favor among white people in general, but when there's a 90-point difference among black people and a 60-point difference among brown people, then we have a power to shift the election in favor of Hillary. No, but I think you have to be able to go to the table no matter who is in charge of this but country. Has the and, GOP and it was even, interesting. Is the GOP even a real option for us when the rhetoric is so racist and the policies are quite often opposite of what many you know, black I, people and, believe? And I, I hear what you're saying, but I really find it somewhat perplexing that you're trying to castigate an entire group of people as being racist. Okay. I didn't. I did not no, say. I did not. No, no. So what is rhetoric? What is, is racist quite, about me? I mean, me? are you saying that but there's not a lot of racist me? rhetoric but coming out of the ra GOP? What is racist about me? I didn't say anything. I didn't. Well, I didn't yet get. But I was, a, but I was a Republican, you know, member of Congress. Okay. Where was the president born? I guess he was born in Hawaii. That's what I he said. I guess he was born in Hawaii. That's what he said he was born in Hawaii. <laughs> I guess it. Well, there's the answer to the question that you just posed. You well, guess he was born in Hawaii? Well, you still what, aren't convinced? I, I'm not searching around looking for the guy's birth certificate. Now, you, I, I, right, he no, should, he never showed it to me. Thank you. He never I showed mean, it to me. You, but why, why would black well, people see, I, seriously I, consider a I, party which is filled with people, not just Trump? He's just the latest one. The party is filled with people so why who do not believe we, that the then, president but is then American. There, there, are, there are members of the Democrat Party who are 9-11 deniers, and you don't see me getting hung up on that. No, no, you, I mean, you don't. Hold, I mean, hold, I don't, hold on. Hold on. Uh, but Here's again, I'm trying to understand. We're supposed to be here talking about a very important issue, and and why are we up here going back and forth about where someone was born? I want to talk about where this. <laughs> We're country, only talking about that I because want to you talk are about Martha. where this country is going to. Right? Where is this country going? That's what we should be talking about. It, where, yeah, where, but, are we going, where are we no, going no, as far no. as our economic growth? But we're, where are we're, we going to, to make sure that these mayors have the ability to grow their cities, that these mayors have the ability to ensure safety and security? You know, we got issues in this country. Look at what just happened in New York and New Jersey. The fact that improvised explosive devices are being used in the United States of America. Look at what just happened to women who are at a makeup department in Macy's in, uh, just north of Seattle. These are the type of things that we need to be talking about. We need to talk about how do we get Americans back to work. You talked about all the kids that are in college. How do we make sure these kids are graduating college and they're not going out to be baristas at Starbucks? They can go out and have productive jobs and productive lives. They can be critical members or even the ones who are coming out of high school. How do we make sure that they can have you know, important and contributory no, no. lives. Yeah, but, 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 but where we're going matters because we, bo we move best when we're unified, even though we may have fundamental differences. And when you have a standard bearer of a party, and I'm not talking about you, Congressman, I'm talking about the person who's at the top of the ticket, who has run a campaign until the last 45 days that was based upon a politics of subtraction, not just for black people who he's insulted repeatedly, 50% of, of, of the GOP right now believes the President of the United States was not born in America and therefore committed a felony by becoming President because Donald Trump, the, the standard bearer, advocated that. He's offended Hispanic people. He said women shouldn't receive equal pay. He said that gay people shouldn't be allowed to marry who they love. My point is, this is a politics of subtraction. Could I, and um... it's a politics of subtraction. And it prevents 
America from being the indispensable nation, the bigger, bolder place that believes that we are strengthened from all of these people as long as they're given their gifts and their talents. This is a person who is stronger. He is stronger in an environment that is chaotic. And if you look at how he got to be the nominee, he got to be the nominee with an opening that said that Hispanic people were largely rapists and criminals. So he went category by category and juice the base. And there's a decision to be made in America right now which relates directly to black people. And I'm sick of this conversation that acts like black people are Democrats because we can't think for ourselves. Mm. Black people well. are Democrats because we can think for ourselves. Mm. Yeah, but I, and let, we know, I would also say that if Donald say Trump, that I'm sick of being tired sellout, called sellout, I Uncle call Tom, you didn't use that word. Oh, come on. You, you know, and, and you even called Herman Cain and our tokens once when you had your show on MSNBC. But that's okay. But, but this is what I'm talking about. Why don't we just, you know, we could sit here and talk about the fact that Barack Obama canceled the D.C. school voucher program. But that's not important right now. What is important is where we're going. Yeah, and you can, okay, but can I interject? Please, can I mayor, interject? Please, please, please give please. the woman did. a word here for me. Yes. <laughs> Because, you know, this is just a rehash of what I see on CNN all day long. And um, not it, even it MSNBC, I can't even get up to the level of MSNBC at least. And it gets Terrain. a little frustrating. So let me speak just for a moment from the perspective of a nonpartisan elected official in San Antonio. We don't run on uh, tickets at the um, city government level. So it's my responsibility as mayor each and every day to bring together San Antonians who have different philosophies and views to uh, accomplish our collective goals. Now, in every city, I mean, that's the mayor's role, whether you run on a ticket or not. But I have the luxury of not wearing a party label. And I think for many of us, we're, we're scratching our heads and wondering how did things get to the point in Washington, D.C., where folks are more focused on just squabbling and these uh, philosophical fights than actually getting things done for the people that they've been elected to represent. And... Um, I, I do, I think that when we get past this election, we have to figure out uh, a true moment of introspection as far as how and why um, Washington has gotten to be the way it is and determine if there are some changes. Maybe there are some sacred cows out there, whether it be length of terms or uh, districting, whatever. We need to look at how we can change the system so that it, it can be more productive for our people. We're going to come to questions soon. So if there's mics, folks can start queuing up for that. Um, uh, Mayor Taylor, let's take, uh, since you are an independent, let's take uh, the congressman's point seriously in that does it, does it do a disservice to black, do black people do a disservice to ourselves to be clustered in the Democratic Party election after election? Well, I think um, I kind of saw merit on both sides of the argument that uh, through uh, having somewhat of a block, it does give us political power, uh, but then there are still so many issues that, that haven't been addressed. I think we ought to be able to have influence uh, across the board. And uh, at this point, it does seem rather slanted as far as you know, whether or not we have uh, influence on the right. 
I mean, Congressman, do you see, do you see my point that the GOP quite often forecloses black people's ability to even seriously consider the Republican Party when there is so much racist rhetoric coming out of elected officials and people who are in the tent and not every individual, but there's a steady stream of these sort of comments. And just when people think the party hates me, they don't want me to vote, they don't believe my president is American, uh, that it becomes hard to even consider being part of that party for most black people. I, I don't recall a policy of the GOP to say we don't want people to vote. Uh, I think you voter don't, ID laws. Voter ID, I, sir? Okay. I mean, everybody has heard of that policy. Ask me, ask me what building can you go in in Washington, D.C. and not show a picture ID? Voting is a right, sir. Voting is and a is right. It is entirely but different. Don't you say, and the don't fact of the matter is that the GOP don't has you been think trying that we to want keep to make black sure, people from voting. That is the point. Shouldn't we want to make sure that we have an electoral process that has a high degree of integrity? There has never been a problem with integrity in American elections. Time out. Obviously, you did not see my congressional election where I had 112% voter turnout in one of the precincts in in my uh, congressional race. But anyhow, let's let's move back to talk about. 80 million votes passed in America. Less than 150 verifiable cases. Let's move back and talk about a policy. 80 million votes passed. Let's talk about a policy issue that I think that we can agree upon. I guarantee you that these mayors here have to balance the budgets of their cities. We do. 49 out of 50 states have to balance their budgets. Why is it that we have a federal government that does not have to balance their budgets? Why budget? do you keep pivoting off of the question of racism in the GOP? You pivot better on that than anything else. Well, I thought we were here to talk about, you know, substantive issues of policies, the state of black America. Racism in the GOP can... is not a substantive issue. That is what you just said. Well, again, it seems that you came here with an ideological agenda that you're going to castigate an entire political party as racist. So are you saying there's not, are you saying there's not racism in the GOP? No, I, I disagree with that. I think that you have come here with an ideological agenda, and we're not talking about the policies that are going to affect the, the black community. Let's talk about the urban economic uh, again, empowerment Again, pivoting zones. off of the, off of the no, question. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm talking about something that I think will benefit this audience that has taken time out of their Saturday uh, to include me missing Tennessee playing Florida, but that's okay. But... Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about urban economic empowerment zones. If you want to talk about a policy that can reinvigorate capital in the urban communities and get small businesses to grow, that's the type of stuff that I thought that we were going to be talking about, Toure. Sir. I don't know. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. So the question is generally for everybody on the panel, but especially for uh, Congressman West. Uh, a lot of talk about school choice and vouchers and this sort of thing. Um, I'm sorry, my name is Greg Worthington, and I'm a, a PhD student here at the University of Texas at Austin in the Educational Policy and Planning, Planning Program. Um, so research on school choice, and especially with things like vouchers and uh, whatnot, shows that uh, it, creates, it, it creates and exacerbates inequities. Um, it allows subversion of enrollment uh, regulations by schools. Students become good and bad money. In other words, some students make bad grades. I don't want them at my school because I don't want them to bring my scores down. Um, this is something that's happened in New Orleans. Wealthy parents naturally have better access to information, and parent choice behavior doesn't change. They still tend to segregate through choice systems. Um, 
the general question is, how do you, how do you support such things when research, when there's a large academic body of research that shows these things? They don't, they, schools show, these programs show no, little or no improvement with students, and that improvement is not consistent, nor is it broad. Um, it, it expands government oversight, which creates more money uh, that we have to spend on that. And schools, in response to competition, I did ask, He's him, asking my, a I did question. ask my question. He's asking a question, but, but let's keep the questions a little more succinct so we can get to all the people who are in line. Okay, all right, all right. That, that, uh, that, I'll keep it there. Thank you, sir. I believe that was aimed at you, Congressman. Well, the, the question is, <laughs> I mean, the I, question, I like, the question that I did actually ask was, question, how do you support school choice systems and programs when we know these things to be true about them? We have empirical research that shows these things. Because I am the product of a mother and father that made a choice for my education. And if you're sitting here telling me that we cannot allow parents in the United States of America to make a choice for better education opportunities for their, their child, then that is the most un-American thing I've ever heard But if of all the life. options are bad, then what does it matter that they have a choice? They have to have some good options for school choice to matter. And, and, I, and we had Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic School in our neighborhood. And what we need to do is make sure that we have those options that are available with homeschooling, with charter schools, and, and using the voucher program. Look, I think I, this is a parent's responsibility to ensure that they can make the choice for their kid to get the best possible education. That's how we rise above and make sure that all children have the quality of opportunity and not a quality of outcomes. In San Antonio, I have been an advocate for uh, a charter school expansion there. Uh, and I kind of came to that uh, from my urban planning background where I've been focused on neighborhoods and affordable housing. And, um, you know, my husband and I, we chose to move to the inner city, the east side of San Antonio, a neighborhood that is, uh, I guess we describe now as transitional. And um, I thought out options within the public school system. I visited at least five public schools in the area and determined that none of them provided what I wanted to be able to provide for my baby girl. And so, um, was that I, her in the pink? Yes, that's Please her. Please stand pink. up, sweetheart. Just say hi. Very nice to see you. And so, uh, she has gone to two charter schools, one of which David Robinson um, worked um, to convert his uh, private school, uh, working with a charter chain called IDEA uh, from the Rio Grande Valley. And they're They've expanded in San Antonio, and now she attends BASIS. And uh, I think it's great to have those options because um, otherwise that's one of the key reasons why middle-class families have left the inner city. And I strongly believe that stable, mixed-income neighborhoods are vital to um, as providing a platform for us to address many of the challenges in the inner city. I aspire to be I, a basis I, yeah. parent soon. I think, <laughs> I think uh, charter and competition can be managed within the public school framework. I'm a public school kid and the bottom line is, the bottom line is, when I was growing up in our public schools, you had an array of students if you keep removing the most affluent and the schools who are middle class and up mm. out of that school, you're going to force society to have schools that don't have the mixture that lifts to the overall rise of the public school. But in the inner city, those families have already left. Right, and the schools are concentrated with economically disadvantaged minority students. And it's a 
perpetuating cycle. People are not going to choose to live in those neighborhoods. Uh, I do believe that or some of the schools can, or, are, okay. the school districts work mm -hmm. on trying to make steady improvement, but we need something to jumpstart mm -hmm. it. Or respectfully, you can re-engage and turn those schools into high-performing schools yes. and get better results from the children yes. who are in that school, but you're in a constant motion of reducing funding that's going to them, that's going to weaken them, weaken them uh, on a long-term basis. All right, we got five so. minutes left. I want to make sure I get more questions, especially this is the state of black America. I want to make sure I get questions from the black people who are on the line. Go ahead, sir. Hi, my name is Steve Amos. I live here in Austin with the nonprofit Health Code. The question I have for you is deals with narrative and how we are able to do more in bridging the conversation. I was reflecting about where both you gentlemen are from and uh, when Obama was elected and was inaugurated as president, I was in tears because I was reading a family document from the 1850s, first probated will in Chattahoochee County where we're divided into slaves. So these are real issues about slavery and where we are today. And I'd like to know, in your communities, why can we do more to uh, foster dialogue and understanding between the races? Because these things have legacy. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Mayor Reed. Well, I, you know, I think we actually are doing more. I think that um, in Atlanta, we built the National Center for Civil and Human Rights really to be the center of our public conversations. We had a protest that was there just yesterday. So I think that cities have roles in facilitating these conversations. And I actually think that black people and white people are talking more there. and Hispanic people. And I think that the nature of relationships is improving communication faster. Sure. So that's what I think. Thank you. Um, Congressman West, um, in the last 15 minutes uh, scrolling through your Facebook page, I saw you refer to the president as a liar, a traitor, disgusting, and maybe not the dumbest president ever. So um, I guess my question is, why do you have so much contempt for our president? It's not about contempt. When I look at the fact that uh, we just sent 400 and then another 500 troops into a combat zone into Iraq, that's a very dumb thing to do, especially when you're not allowing them to have the right rules of engagement. I've been on the other side of that. We just had uh, ISIS rocket a forward operating base of the United States military, and one of those rockets had mustard gas in it and yet we had no return of fire. I do not want to see any commander-in-chief place men and women, to include my nephew, who is still in, in a situation where they're not able to properly defend and uh, protect themselves in the combat zone. That is dumb. And we have seen that, we call it mission creep in the United States of America, and I'm gonna speak out about it. It's very funny that everyone agrees that Colin Kaepernick has, you know, the freedom of expression it's Kaepernick. 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 I, I'm sorry. I'm from Georgia. It's I don't Kaepernick, know how to. Kaepernick. 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 I'm Kaepernick. sorry. It's Kaepernick. Well, I don't say it enough. But that's okay? his name. Well, I understand that. you keep mispronouncing that, his name, we all are pronouncing it correctly. Okay. Well, you, I don't Your know why you're getting sir. upset over a name. Gee. Uh, okay. So uh, my name is John Carter. Um, I'm an Army veteran. I served two tours in Afghanistan. And uh, Thank you. And so when I come back from Afghanistan, I fear more for my life when I see red and blue lights flashing down the street than I did when I heard Taliban mortars. Wow. So my question, and I would like all three panelists to respond to this, please, is what are we going to do to uh, reduce the warrior culture that pervades uh, our police forces? Thank you. That is a question, I think, on, on training, really, uh, and kind of overcoming those decades of um, the time when 
you know, we already have officers that have been on the force for a long time that were trained through a whole different mindset. And I think we have to be real deliberate about, first of all, a different kind of training for people that are coming through the academies right now. But then we also have to figure out how to retrain the folks that are already out on the streets and uh, also focus on these uh, opportunities to build relationships and connections between uh, the police and the people that they serve. Sir. First of all, thank you everyone for a wonderful discussion and debate today. My question is for you, Congressman West. I know you've been getting a lot of questions directed towards you, but during the I'm discussion- I'm a popular guy. <laughs> during the discussion, you were accused of, quote, pivoting around the issue, so I want to, I would hope to get a straightforward answer. My question is, why, in your personal opinion, do you think the GOP is doing so poorly amongst African Americans, and what steps should they take, if any, to Well, I just talked problem? about it, and, and I had a discussion with Rice Priebus. I said, if I ever hear you say the word outreach, I will break your fingers. Because what outreach means is that the GOP shows up in Black History Month, they go in and they sing some songs or whatever, they have a dinner, and then they show up two months before an election. They say, here we are, you know, vote for us. This is about policy inclusiveness. This is about engagement, and they have failed in doing that. And I have said that they really gave up on the black community when really Senator Everett Dirksen was a Senate Republican, and he was very instrumental in the passing of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. But no one talks about that because they don't know their own history. So this is about engagement. You can't show up at the last minute. You gotta constantly be there and break down some of the narratives that are out there. Ma'am. Hi, yes, my name is Mary Willis and I'm a senior at Houston Tilton University. Um, my question is actually for the <clears throat> mayor of San Antonio. Um, I'm a major in criminal justice, so I'm wondering what would what is your community police initiative program or plan, and how is that working for you? Okay, well, um, right now we we have a program where we have officers, safe officers, uh, San Antonio Fear Free Environment is what that stands for, and they're officers that are deployed in neighborhoods, and their job is not to respond or react when things occur, but instead to try and intervene and prevent things. So they, they're the ones that we have on the ground right now that have more of a personal connection with neighborhood associations, with businesses, and people in the neighborhoods. However, I don't think the program is expansive enough uh, in order to achieve the impact that's needed. And so that's why through this um, uh, Mayor's Council on Police Community Relations, I'm hopeful that we can develop some other strategies uh, to strengthen that connection at the grassroots level. But again, we've also done some things like trying to encourage our officers to live in the city, in the communities uh, that they serve. And the other day in the meeting we had, you know, sometimes it goes, gets down to something as small as that first positive impression. One of the people who I asked to be on the council, we were asked to talk about our first impression, our impressions of police. And he said, when I was a kid, crime, McGruff, uh, crime dog McGruff gave me a popsicle. You know, and that's, that set a positive image where he wasn't fearful from an early age. And so a lot of times when budgets get cut, some of those things like the police ban and uh, the, out, the outreach component does end up being cut. So we've got to figure out what the right balance is in moving Coming forward. Coming to the end. They're telling me to end, but I'm trying to squeeze a couple okay. more questions quickly. Uh, I have a question uh, directed at the moderator. It seemed more of a commentator. Um, it's, it's about how uh, the media covers things. Um, I do, I, yeah, I do think there is a problem with uh, police violence. 
Um, a lot of people were surprised that white men are actually, you know, killed much more um, greater numbers uh, than black men. They're surprised. <laughs> this is true. And uh, the question is, uh, you know, in Austin, Texas, we had a black teenager who was naked at the time, killed by a police officer. It was killed by a black police officer. And I'm wondering, you know, wh how does the media choose, you know, which police killings get covered? Um, and this is part of why I wanted more black people asking questions, yeah, yeah, yeah. and why I was going to skip you. And I am going to skip you, please, ma'am. Please, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. Please come up. 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 Question. Please come up. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Good evening, everyone. My name is Angelique Price. I'm a senior at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. As a millennial, as well as a young black woman looking to obtain a degree, I'm the biggest investment black America has. Yes. Um, I want to start off by saying that. Um, secondly, as a millennial, people either look to praise us or they look at us in disgust and disappointment. Um, what can we do to make sure we are being, you know what I mean? What, what can we do to make sure uh, black, America black America thrives and we're being the most effective in the advancement of our people? Best, biggest thing you can do is to graduate and be excellent. Oh, that's yes. a given. That's no, a no, given. I, no, 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 but I mean, I'm not being dismissive. I'm no, saying, that's a lot. No, no I'm, I'm not being dismissive or disrespectful. The power of your example, the life that you live, has a ripple effect that I don't think people give themselves enough credit for. When, when you graduate and go on in the field that you're preparing yourself for and live a life of excellence, you're going to influence hundreds of people who you know and do not know who see you in your experience. All of us, all of us impact in our own way people who see what we have become and look at us and say, you know what? I can do that. Mm. White kids, Latino kids, and black kids. So I wasn't being dismissive at all. What we need for you to do is go and be great and be terrific, and you're changing the world all the time. And it's I the thank biggest you for that. And we need more support and programs for our young black people to make sure they get they're on the right track oh, to, no to be great. No, absolutely. But, I think everyone agrees with you, but I think that's a great place to leave right. it. Thank you very much for thank being you. here. Thank, thank you very much, Mayor Reed, Mayor, Mayor Taylor, Colonel West. They've been rapping. Okay.